of God is tough, really tough. Evangelizing, preaching, and teaching the gospel is a direct assault of Satan and his kingdom of darkness. It is spiritual warfare, and again, it's really tough work. No wonder Paul says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you are busy doing the work of God and feeling the tension, don't despair. Rejoice that you are partners with Christ and with the saints who are obediently carrying out the Great Commission. We pray that you are a partner in the gospel. Well, Paul first visited Philippi on his second missionary journey. And uh, here's what it looks like. Uh, here's, here's Greece, here's Italy, here's the United Kingdom. That's Britain up there in the corner. Philippi really is very much at the very center of the Roman world at that time. And it was in Philippi that Paul had his first convert to Christianity in Europe. And the name of that convert is, in fact, Lydia. She was a cloth merchant. You can read all about her in Acts chapter 16. In fact, I would recommend to you that uh, for your homework that you go and read Acts 16, 17, and 18, because you see there uh, Paul's great work in the city of Philippi. Now, Philippi is a Greek city. It was named after Philip II, who is the father of Alexander the Great. So he's a great Macedonian king or Greek king in that area. And you'll notice that Philippi is in this northern section of Greece. And Philippi was on what is called the Ignatian Way. It was one of the superhighways that was built by the Romans in order to govern and to maintain unity in their empire. And uh, the, the Apostle Paul saw Philippi, obviously, as, as a, an ideal location to see the preaching of the gospel extended throughout the Roman Empire. But here's something I want to point out to you. It's just a side note. Rome built all these superhighways throughout the world at that time. And, and Rome believed that the reason that they were doing that was so that they could, again, maintain and govern their empire. But here's what you really need to see. We need to see that these highways were built according to God's great plan, because it was on these superhighways that the gospel was able then to be spread throughout the world. It's truly a, a miracle. It's very much akin to what we would say, say today about the internet. We're able to go to places we wouldn't normally be able to go to uh, because of the internet. Well, so it was in Paul's day. These superhighways, the Ignatian Way, uh, was one of those great highways that made it possible for Paul to, to go and preach the gospel. Now, just to give you an idea... Philippi is, uh, is about 2,300 kilometers from Israel. You see Israel here at the very bottom there. And of course, in those days, Paul was mostly walking that distance, although he did, did use the boat from time to time. But just to give you an idea, the Philippi is the distance from Israel, which would be about the same as Winnipeg to Montreal. 
And uh, I have never walked from Winnipeg to Montreal. I have driven from Winnipeg to Toronto, but I've never walked there. It's a long, long journey. And uh, this is something that Paul was very happy to do with the other missionaries. Now, in, in Acts chapter 16, uh, we, see, we see that Paul sets out on this missionary journey to, to preach the gospel throughout Asia. But in fact, God says, no, you can't do that. And you may remember reading something, something about that. I would, again, invite you to read that for yourself in Acts 16, 17, and 18. But the Holy Spirit stops him from preaching the gospel in Asia. And then one night while Paul is sleeping, he gets a vision. And it's a vision of the Macedonian man. We read about that in Acts 16, verse 9. And the Macedonian man says, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's, that was the extent of the message. Now again, Macedonia is that northern part, the more northern province of Greece. And so Paul, without, without further ado, without asking questions, without discussing it, he just gets his team together and he quickly makes his way to the Roman colony of Philippi. And here's what it says in Acts 16, 11 to 12. So sailing from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. And by the way, Gloria and I have been to Neapolis, we've been to Philippi, we've been to so many of these places that are discussed in the New Testament. These are actual places. And it says here that Philippi is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and it's a Roman colony. And it says, Paul says, we remained here in this city for some days. Now, Paul gets to Philippi, and what does he do? Well, Remember that oftentimes Paul will say that the gospel is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And so Paul's uh, modus operandi, wherever he goes, is to begin with the Jewish people. So he goes looking for the Jews. And he thinks, well, they'll probably uh, be out worshiping somewhere. And he imagines that they would be at the riverside. Why exactly? I don't know. But nevertheless, I believe it's the leading of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes to the riverside, and lo and behold, he finds a group of women who are there to pray. One of these women, her name is, in fact, Lydia, and the Bible tells us that Paul is able then to, uh, to preach the gospel to Lydia so that Lydia becomes a convert. In fact, her whole household then is converted. After her conversion, she says to the Apostle Paul and, uh, and his companions, look, you need to come and stay in my home. We, we're going to take good care of you. And so the first thing that we see about Paul and his relationship to the Philippians is that there is a great love for Paul, a great appreciation that Paul is the one who brings to him the good news of Jesus Christ. There's this marvelous relationship. The Philippians love Paul and Paul loved the Philippians. So what do we see happening here? We see a partnership developing. It's a partnership between Paul and the Philippians. They become partners by praying for him faithfully and by supporting him financially. So let's take a look then at Philippians chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 3 to 8. And Paul says to the Philippians, he says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the gospel about Christ from, time, from the time you first heard it until now. By the way, that word gospel simply means good news. 
Paul says, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. The letter of the letter to the Philippians is definitely a letter sent to encourage the Philippians and to commend them for their partnership. He is saying, thank you, dear Philippians, for praying for me, and thank you for sending to me a financial gift that makes it possible for me to do the work that I'm doing. Now, this morning when you came here, if you haven't been back to church in a while, you'll notice that our church uh, sanctuary is decorated with African fabric. Folks, I want you to know that the work that the Apostle Paul was doing back in uh, around 50 or 60 AD is the same work that we're doing today. Just as the Philippians partnered with the Apostle Paul, so today we partner together to get the gospel out to the uttermost parts of the world. And it just so happens that we here at Cross Church are focusing on the country of Burundi. But Paul is saying thank you, Philippians, for partnering together in advancing the kingdom. And by the way, the Apostle Paul wants us to know that this is the evidence that these Philippians are in fact truly converted. Nobody will give to missions. Nobody will support a child in Africa if God hasn't moved in their heart in some way. But you'll notice that it's easier, it's easier to raise money for starving children than it is to raise money for the preaching of the gospel. It's people who are converted that, that want to contribute to that. A person who's not, contrib- who's not converted has no interest whatever in giving money to advance the preaching of the gospel. I hope everybody understands that. So here's what you know if you are a Christian today. You are a partner. You are supposed to be a partner. You're supposed to be involved in this great work of getting the gospel message out. Now, let us take a look then at that first, uh, hang on a minute, that first, those first three verses, verses three four, and five of Philippians chapter one. Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the gospel about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Let's take a look at those verses one by one. The first verse is simple. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Hey, I wondered this morning, when people think of you, what do they think? Do they have a sense of joy that you are a person that's made a difference in their life or not? The Apostle Paul, every time he thinks of the Philippians, he remembers, oh yeah, these are the people that love me and care about me as evidenced by their faithful prayers for me and as evidenced by their willingness to give and to share. Here's what he says at the end of the passage that we looked at this morning, verse 8. He says, God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Now, when it talks about this love or this compassion, the word in Greek is that word splagnois. 
the roots of which is the word guts or entrails. It's, it's your innards. Now, that was a very, uh, a very sort of excellent way to describe what true compassion is. The Bible says in Matthew 9 that Jesus, when he saw the lost sheep of Israel, was moved with compassion. It was really moved in his guts. Now, if you've ever loved anybody, if you're a parent, for instance, or if you are married, then you, you certainly understand that deep love in the very core of your being. It's, it's something that is physical. It's a physical love. Sometimes we talk about love that makes us ache inside. Well, this is really what the Apostle Paul is saying. My love for you is not something superficial. This love that I have for you is a love that comes from your response to me, your, your reaching out to me. You have loved me, and I return that love. Now, I want you to see something. In all of Paul's praying for for, uh, well, for, in all of his praying, you see that he rarely thanks God for things. That's not the thing that God, that, that Paul is excited by. The thing that excites Paul are the people that God brings into his life. Now, I want you to know something this morning. The people in Burundi, especially those 50 cross churches in Burundi, and the pastors there, and the villages of hope, and all of the people that work at the villages of hope, they give thanks to God for every one of the people in this church. I don't know if you know that, but they recognize Cross Church as a church that truly loves them. This is the kind of love that they have for us. And those of us who have been to Burundi and those of us who support these children in Burundi, we feel that same kind of love towards them. I want you to see something here, folks. This is really important. What we're talking about is the spiritual family of God. When you became a Christian, you entered into a very supernatural, special family. Many of us have had problems with family members over the years. Our earthly family sometimes can fail us, but there's something very special and precious about the family of God. And this is really is what the Apostle Paul's talking about. He's talking about this great partnership, the fact that they are a team, that they're working together. We are tempted, folks, to think of the Apostle Paul as the superstar, just like uh, back in the, in the day when Wayne Gretzky was playing for the Edmonton Oilers, we, we would think of, uh, as, uh, of as Wayne Gretzky as the Edmonton Oilers. But in fact, folks, Wayne Gretzky would be the first one to say that he couldn't do what he did without the team. And so it is with the Apostle Paul. He can't do what he's doing without the team. There's no way that Paul can bring the gospel to the uttermost parts unless there's people like the Philippians who are willing to get on board and say, here we are, we're showing up for duty. And likewise, there's no way we can do the work in Burundi that we do unless all the people of Cross Church get on board and say, here we are, we're showing up. We're showing up for duty. We're showing up to partner to get the job done. It's a beautiful picture. Look, we always talk in this church that, that life is about relationships. Christianity is about our relationships, our relationship with God first, but also with, with one another. And if you don't understand that, then you'll not understand Christianity, and you certainly won't understand what I'm talking about from week to week, because this is really what it all is. It all can be summed up, our love for God and our love for one another. Now, over the years, there are all kinds of people that... Uh, that that I will never forget because of their great love and their partnership in the gospel. When I first came to this church, uh, there was a, a, a little old lady 
Her name was Doris Davidson. And Doris Davidson, uh, she, was, she, she really couldn't get out unless Dawn helped her get out. But she was one of the, just a handful of people uh, who supported the church, who still served. She was the one who processed the envelopes from every Sunday. But she, she made it a point to pray for me uh, every day, and she made it a point to become my friend. And I'll tell you, when I went to her home, she always uh, uh, would have a cup of coffee for me. And then one day she told Don, Don, I want to take the pastor and his wife and family for dinner. And so for the first time in our lives, we went to Red Lobster on Main Street, or on uh, Portage Avenue, which is still there, by the way. The first, the first meal out was on Doris Davidson. I can tell you, every time I, th- I think of Doris, in fact, I asked Dawn to give me a picture, and she's, I got a picture of Doris Davidson in my office, and I thank God for her life because she was a partner. She was the one that made it possible for me as I, uh, as I began my ministry here at Cross Church. So again, I'm going to ask you the question. When people think of you, what do they think? Do they think of you as, as, a, as a Christian who loves God and, and loves the lost? Do they think of you as a person who is a partner in advancing the kingdom of God? Hey, one of the things I've discovered in my, in my lifetime is that there are two kinds of people. There are givers and there are takers. And unfortunately, the same thing can be said of people in the church. There are some who give and some who just take. It's the people who are the givers. It's the people who say, I'm going to be a partner. I'm not going to just take up space here, but pastor, you can depend on me to be a partner. These are the people that are especially people that bring joy to my heart. These are the people that I call my real family. Now, you think about that for a moment. I, I spend more time with my church family than I do with my earthly family. It's not because I don't love my earthly family, but it's because my church family are the people that are working with me from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. You are my family, and you are the people that I love dearly. And you are the people that I will do anything for, uh, and, and I believe that you will do anything for me. And I know that, by the way, because from time to time I get emails, I get texts, I get, uh, I get little notes or cards just expressing great love. Now, these uh, Philippians, they're obviously touched by the Holy Spirit. You guys, watch this. You know, for many people, they think that Christianity is, is a religion where you just check all the boxes, you do all the things on the list. If I do all these things, I've done what I need to do. If that's what you think of Christianity, then you are simply engaged in a religion. What we're talking about here, folks, is a relationship with Almighty God where the Holy Spirit works in you and works through you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says right off the bat, Matthew 5, 16, he says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Well, that's what the Philippians were doing. They were doing good deeds. They were supporting Paul through prayer and through their gifts. And in doing so, they caused the Apostle Paul to praise the Father in heaven. Well, folks, listen, I want you to see something. This is a a supernatural work of the Spirit in the lives of the Philippians. And the same work of the Spirit in the lives of the Philippians is the same work that God wants to do in our hearts and lives. And so we need to say to God, we have to invite God, God, have your way in me. This is why Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
God, we want your will to be done. I don't want my will to be done. Hey, does anybody in this church want the will of Alan Duncalf to be done? That's a disaster. No, what we're doing here, by God's grace, is we are trying to do the will of God. And those of you who are members of this church, those of you who are converted and belong to Christ, then you too are concerned about doing the work of Christ, which is the thing that brings glory to God. Well, this is what the Philippians are doing. They are causing Paul to praise praise God for the work that... that, uh, that they have done for him. So let's look at verse 4 here. Verse 4 says, Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. Paul, in, in this letter to the Philippians, he, he actually uses the word joy. I told you last week that it was 11 times, but he references the word joy some 15 times in just four chapters. This really is a chapter of joy. And by the way, if you want to be encouraged in your Christian life, then read Philippians. When I was just a young Christian, I often read Philippians if I wanted uh, just to be reminded of what it means to be a real Christian, what it means to live like Christ and to experience that joy. I would recommend that to you if you haven't done that yet. But here's what you really need to see here. The thing that brings joy to your life and the thing that brings joy to Paul's life is that the Philippians are are not self-centered. They are concentrating on the needs of others. They're concentrating on the needs of Paul. They're concentrating on on not themselves, but on others. They are other-oriented. Now, can I tell you something this morning? Here's a little secret. Because when I hear people say to me that church is is not fun or that church is is a drudgery, then I have to say, well, then you're probably not living like the Philippians. The Philippians had great joy. The Apostle Paul had great joy. Why? Very simply, because they were living the unselfish life. They were being spirit-led. This is what produced joy in their lives. I heard a pastor say once that church should be a place for fun. And I asked him to give me the chapter and verse that, that would, would prove that. And of course, he couldn't give a verse. He just thought it was a good idea that we should have fun in church. Well, here's the thing. Um, the thing that's going to bring, bring you fun or joy or happiness in your life is if you learn what it is to be like the Philippians, where you are putting others first and putting yourself last. And then we get to verse 5. Paul says, For you have been my partners in spreading the gospel about Christ from the time you first heard about it until now. Now, let me just quickly just say a word about the gospel, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sort of zero in some more on that in just a moment. First of all, The gospel is, if you want to say it in just a word, is Jesus. That's what the gospel is. Paul understands that the great need of the world is, in fact, Jesus Christ. And it's not just Jesus Christ alone, but it's Jesus Christ and his work at the cross. So if somebody says to you, hey, what is the gospel? Then you can say, it's Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for me. What did Jesus do? Well, the first thing that Jesus did in dying on the cross is he, would, he set us free from the bondage of sin. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer in bondage to sin. Does everybody hear that this morning? Not only are you not in bondage to sin, but you're no longer under the bondage of the law. How many of us have tried to be really good people and we keep failing? 
In fact, some of you grew up that way. That was your church upbringing. I have to do good things, and the more I do good things, the more I will win favor with God. Well, that's not the gospel. That's a religion that failed, and 1,500 years of Jewish history proves that nobody can be good enough. So Jesus dies on the cross. You put your faith in Christ, and Christ's righteousness now becomes your righteousness, and now you're set free from sin. Sin has no hold on you anymore. Sin has no hold on you anymore. And not only that, but now you have the gift of life, eternal life. You you don't need to be afraid of dying anymore. Once in a while, I'll hear someone say, when I go to pray with them, they're they're living their last days, their last, last hours, and I'll say, are you ready to meet the Lord? And they'll say, well, I think so. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean you think so? This is the wrong time to think so or hope so. You're, you're breathing your last breath. Let's make sure that you understand that you are, in fact, saved. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that you have Christ's righteousness? And then you see the lights go on. Oh, yeah. When I put my faith in Jesus... My sins were washed away, but more than that, I received the righteousness of Christ. I said, now you have Jesus' righteousness. Now do you believe you're ready to see the Lord? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I'm ready to go. That's the gospel, my friends, is that you have the righteousness of Christ. You're ready to meet the Lord. Not because you think you've been good enough or that you've done enough good works or you supported enough children in Burundi or that you gave enough money to the church. No, the fact is is that you put your faith in Christ. The giving to Burundi and to the children of VOH, that's simply the fruit of your salvation. That's the evidence that you're converted. It's not the way that gets you into heaven. It's your faith in Christ. So many people just don't understand that. When you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that you were justified before God. God the judge stands as a judge, and you stand in the, in the, in the court of heaven before the judge. And God says, you must die. You must pay the penalty for your sin. And then Jesus, our great mediator, our great lawyer, steps forward and says, hang on a minute, judge, and shows his nail-scarred hands and his nail-scarred feet in, this, in his side. He says, this person has put their faith in me. And God then takes the gavel of heaven and declares that you've been justified. You've been made right with God. You are free of your sin as though you'd never sinned. That's what it means. This is called the doctrine of justification. Through Jesus Christ, you've been made right with God, as though you'd never sinned. But there's more, folks. Not only are you made right right with God, not only are you justified before the judge, but now God, by his Spirit, has begun this great work of sanctification. This is the doctrine of sanctification. He is now making you holy. He is purifying you. What is he doing? He's molding you and shaping you into the image of his Son, the perfect Son. He's transforming you by his spirit. Folks, that is the gospel. And this is the gospel that the world needs to hear. This is the gospel that Burundi needs to hear. This is the gospel people in our community need to hear. This is the gospel that those in the north need to hear. But the only way that that gospel can go out is, folks, if there is, in fact, partners. 
And that's where you and I come in. Now, why on earth God did it this way? This is one of the great mysteries. I don't understand this. I think I can, I can guess at it a little bit, but that'll be one of the questions I ask the Father when I see him in heaven. God, why, why did you depend on us? We're so frail. We're so weak. We, we mess up. We, we fall short so often. But no, God says he's doing this work through us, we who are his witnesses, we who are called to preach the gospel. So let's take a look at that for a moment, this idea of being a partner. The Philippians are obviously converted. And how do we know that? Well, because it says, it says from the time you first heard until now, you became a partner. Again, nobody gets involved in supporting the preaching of the gospel if they are not converted, because it doesn't make sense. In fact, it seems like a waste of money. In fact, it's an annoyance. But when your heart has been transformed and you've experienced the judge of heaven pounding his gavel and saying and declaring you justified before God, folks, you want everybody to experience what you experience. You want everybody to be saved as you were saved. And so these, these Philippians, they became instant partners with the Apostle Paul. As soon as Lydia was converted, she says, Paul, you've got to come stay in my house. Let us take care of you. Right away, she's engaged. Right away, she's a partner in the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful picture. Paul, you can't stay on your own. We're going to support you. We're going to feed you. We're going to put a roof over your head so that you can do your great work of preaching the gospel to our fellow Philippians. That was, I'm imagining that that's what Lydia said. And so these Philippians, they saw this as a great opportunity. Do you understand the opportunity that is before us today to be blessing Burundi as we are? 50 churches, folks. And we've got two more that we're getting ready to plant. In fact, one of them might already be planted, yet I'm still waiting for an update. We just talked to Delson yesterday about now scouting out land so that we can build the next church. It's an opportunity that God has dropped in our lap by his spirit. Do you understand the great opportunity that God has given to us? And I believe that God gives us this opportunity because we have proven ourselves to be partners, as the Apostle Paul has said. So... The fruit of their salvation is, in fact, their partnership. Here's what we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 11. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. And, of course, if you are not a partner in spreading the gospel, then you have no idea what that means. You, you're likely to think, here's what you're likely to think. You're likely thinking, well, I've got to do lots of good works so I can earn brownie points in heaven. But this, my folks is the opposite of the gospel. Now you're going back to religion. Now you're going back to a religion that nobody is able to fulfill. No, Paul says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced by what? Produced by Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ working in you that produces the righteousness that that God finds favorable. It's not your ability, it's not your power, it's not your strength. This is why we talked last week about the grace of God, which we're going to talk about again in just a few moments. We need God to work in us and through us by his Spirit. 
And when you pray every day, you need to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you so that you can be a faithful partner in the spreading of the gospel. When's the last time you prayed that? But that's how we pray. God, enable me, empower me, give me your grace so that I may be a faithful partner in the preaching of the gospel. Now, let me just say this about the early church. So I want to talk now about the gospel for a moment. The early church understood that the answer to the world's problems was Jesus Christ. Does everybody understand that today? Just grunt or do something or say yes or amen. Do you understand that that Jesus Christ is the only solution to to the needs of this world? Okay, thank you. We're, We're alive here. We're good to go, Houston. The early church spread throughout the world at at an amazing rate. What was their secret? Because they had the best strategies? Because somebody sat down and developed a a logistical plan that made it possible? We moved X number of dollars to here and did X number of this, and we have that, and we key office there and a key office here, and we we raise X number of dollars. There's, there's There's none of that. There's no strategizing, really. It was like the Apostle Paul goes to sleep at night and he wakes up. Which way is the Holy Spirit blowing today? <laughs> uh, let's do it. Can you imagine if, a, if, if the CEO of IBM did that? Woke up every morning and which way does God want us to go today? He'd be fired on the spot. Folks, we're not involved in an earthly enterprise. We're involved in a supernatural enterprise. We're involved in the spreading of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the apostle Paul sets out to preach the gospel in Asia. God God says, no, Paul, that's not what I want. And he has the vision of the Macedonian man saying, come and help us. And so Paul says, let's go. We're off to Philippi. That's the way God works, in mysterious ways, in marvelous ways. In fact, everything that God has ever done in Cross Church or through Cross Church has been just like that. Nobody can take credit there are many times I wanted to write down and write out, write out the story of how we, got the, how we did this. And then I just kept say, hearing the Holy Spirit say, no, no, no. Why? Because God says, I'm taking the glory, not you, Alan. You hear what I'm saying today? God gets all the glory. No man will take any glory because it was his idea, his plan. It was his power, and he brought his people together. He developed his own partners to spread the gospel. And so God gets all the glory and the honor. The beginning of the PAOC, there was a great, great movement to preach the gospel. The gospel was, was, was big on everybody's lips. And everybody who, who called himself or herself a Christian in the PAOC, they, they all were great gospel preachers. They all believed in the gospel. In fact, our church used to be called Western Gospel Church. They believed in missions. They believed that missions and the gospel preaching was the main thing. And the, and the movement grew at, a, at a, an astonishing rate, one of the biggest in Canada. In fact, I had lunch with, with a, a man from another denomination, and he, he asked me what's happening in the PAOC, and I said, I wish I could give you some good news. He said, well, are you telling me that the mighty PAOC is not what it used to be? And I said, no, it's not, quite frankly. And that really quite shocked me. He said, well, you guys are like the biggest group in Canada. I said, well, not for long. Why is that? Well, in 2018, I attended a PAOC conference in Victoria, and I liked the 
I liked what it said in the literature because it really sounded like there was going to be a great emphasis on the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, the need for the gospel. But when I got there, they did talk a bit about that, but it, it eventually it, de- it devolved into environmentalism and social activism, racism, ageism, feminism, uh, millennialism, you name it, ism, but every ism you can think of. And my heart sank. And, I, and I, I remember distinctly thinking, this is not how the PAOC got started. This is not how we grew. This is not how churches were established in every community. And that's really the way it was. Folks, listen to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world. Does everybody understand that? Here's what Paul says to the Romans, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Even though the world hates it and laughs at it and thinks it's a joke. You believe in Jesus who died on the cross to wash away your sins? They think it's a joke. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Did you hear that? This is the answers to the problems of our world. This is the answer to the problems in Burundi, just as much as it is here in Winnipeg. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.24, Paul says, But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you understand that today? This is what we're about here. And I have people say to me, Pastor Allen, you should be speaking out. Now is the opportunity to speak out about the, the great injustices that are happening in our society. I want you to see something about the Apostle Paul and all the apostles and all the preachers mentioned in the New Testament. They preach the gospel and only the gospel. They didn't give marriage seminars or family seminars or family counseling and no anger management counseling and there was no sermons on success and how to be great leaders or uh, there was no sermons on vision and mission and strategy. None of that. Because the solution is Jesus Christ. Now you say, Pastor Allen, how does that translate into my daily life? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Jesus said... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what it means, my friends. That's, what the, that's the, the outward, practical aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the answer. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Follow me. And if you follow me, then you'll have life. Then you'll know the truth, and you'll know the way to go in this life. Jesus Christ is the solution. But in order to do that, my friends, you have to deny yourself. You see, the the big problem in our world today is is not racism. It's not ageism. It's it's not all of the, the social problems that we see around us. That's not the great problem. The great problem is that we as human beings are self centered. We put ourselves first. That's why marriages fail, that's why families fail. That's why businesses fail. That's why we have failure all around us, because we have failed to put our faith in Christ and in Christ alone. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And when you and I say, Lord, we are going to obey you, we're going to follow you by your strength and by your grace and by your spirit, then suddenly things just turn around. There's a big turnaround that happens. 
I've, se- I've experienced it in my life. I've seen it over and over again. People who come to Christ and suddenly their marriages are healed, their families are healed, everything's healed because everybody in that family has understood the importance of denying himself, taking up his cross and following Jesus. That's the gospel. Now you say, Pastor Allen, that doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds kind of difficult to me. My friends, listen to me. This is what we would call a paradox because here's what you're doing. And and Paul points this out to us. You're either going to be a slave to sin or a slave to Christ, but you will serve somebody. Remember Bob Dylan? That's what he said. You got to serve somebody. The question is this. Do you want the freedom that comes from Christ or do you want the bondage that comes through sin? By living for yourself. Living for yourself, my friends, is your biggest problem. Doing what you want to do rather than doing God's will, that's your biggest problem. That's what's causing problems in every area of your life. You come to me with a problem in your life, and nine times out of ten, and maybe, maybe 99% of the time, it's going to be because you have been living selfishly. Now, I want you to remember Apostle Paul sees this great fruit in the Philippians, the fact that they are partners in spreading the gospel. They're not living for themselves. They're not not rich people. In in Philippi, it was a Roman town, and you have have your your aristocracy, you've got all your rich people, and then you've got the very poorest of the poor. Folks, it was to the very poorest of the poor that Paul went, and yet these are the people that raised the funds, raised the money to help spread the gospel. Now, When you're born again, you need to understand that you are not only set free from the prison of death and sin, but you were declared righteous by God for eternity. Did you get that? It's for eternity. But some people have a very, very wrong idea of Christianity, and it goes something like this. When you were born again, you believed that somehow... You, uh, you were put on probation. Yeah, you were let out of jail. The, the probation officer said, okay, you are now a, a Christian. We're going to let you out of jail. And if you make one wrong move, we're putting you back in prison. This is how many people live their Christian life. They're over afraid, afraid of making a mess, making a mistake, messing up. They're afraid that they're going to fail and they're going to end up back in jail. But here's what you need to know. God is not a warden. And you need to know that when you became a Christian, you were not put on probation. You were declared righteous as though you'd never sinned in the first place. In other words, you have no record. The record's gone. It doesn't exist. It's not in any database anywhere. As far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed your sin from you. And when Christ set you free, he erased your record as though you'd never sinned. Here's what Jesus says in John 8, 34 to 36. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now this is, this is the Philippians. They have been set free. They want now for everybody to know this Jesus who sets people free. Folks, once you understand that, once you understand that we're not just selling a religion here, we're not just pushing a religion here. What we're doing is we're trying to show people the way to be free for eternity. 
That's what it means to be a partner in spreading the gospel. And so Paul says in verse 7, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Ah, God will do his work. Why? Because as partakers, we are in fact, uh, we are, we are, we are partners. And Jesus Christ is going to complete his work in your life. You, you're sitting there wondering, man, I hope I make it to heaven. I hope I don't mess up. I hope I don't screw it up. I hope I, hope I do all things right. And, and, and Paul tells the Philippians, hey, the work that God began in you, he's going to complete it until the day that Christ Jesus returns. How many have that confidence today, that assurance that you belong to Christ forever and that, and that Christ... God gave you to Christ. This is what Paul, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 17. God gave you to Christ, and, and Christ says he, he doesn't lose anybody. How many know that today? That is the gospel. God will lose no one. And so here are these delightful Philippians. Their love and commitment to the gospel bound them in their fellowship with Paul. They have a unity. And the thing that brings unity, my friends, is that we all understand the importance of preaching the gospel. And that's why we decorate the church. This is why we have these banquets. This is why we, we ask you to give. I used to be embarrassed and shy to ask. I don't, I'm not embarrassed or shy anymore because I'm not asking for myself. I'm asking for people who are truly needy. I want to be a true partner I want to be a partner with Paul. I want to be a partner with you. I want to be part of this business of proclaiming this gospel message. I would ask you to stand with me, please. Father, we come before you right now with thanksgiving in our hearts that you have saved us by your grace. Father, there are some here maybe who have not yet put their faith in Christ not yet been set free from their sin. They still feel slave to sin. They have not yet discovered the joy of Christ at work in their heart. Father, would you do a special work in the hearts of your people this morning? And Lord, would you remind us today that we are saved and that Christ will complete his work in us until the day that he comes. That's what your word tells us. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we want to be part of. This is the good news that we want to share with others. So God, give us the grace, we pray right now. Give us the strength. Enable us, O oh God, to be faithful proclaimers of this good news. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do this February 2022. We thank you for what you're going to do through the banquet. We thank you for the generosity of your people and how they will give to make it possible for us to do our work. God, thank you. We are partners, and it's a unity based on the gospel that each of us have experienced. So, God, we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you for Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said it? Amen. 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 God bless you.